Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is miraculous. Well, it's about miracles. A 2007 survey of about 36,000 Americans aged 18 to 70 found 78% of people under age 30 believe in miracles and 79% older than 30 believe. So it's about the same in both sides of it. And a new survey from 2018 says three in five British adults believe some form of miracle is possible, and 72% of people aged 18 to 24 think they can happen more than any other age group, which is interesting because it's hard to even define what a miracle is, but people believe in them. If you like discussions of biohacking, including things that are supposed to be impossible and actually maybe or maybe just aren't well-defined, and you haven't had a chance to follow me on Instagram, I post all kinds of cool stuff. I'm Dave.Asprey, and if you use Instagram, you got to follow me because I put up things that are worth your time to check out, so please do that, Dave.Asprey on Instagram. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's episode is going to be a lot of fun. And yes, in the act of foreshadowing, we are going to talk about miracles. And again, it's a second time this guy's been on the show. He came on in episode 176 and talked about surviving a near-fatal car accident at age 20 and being dead for six minutes clinically with tons of injuries and he recovered in a way doctors said were miraculous. The guy went on to become a Hall of Fame business achiever and author of a book with more than a million copies called, believe it or not, The Miracle Morning, and created a practice used by more than half a million people around the world. We're talking about none other than Hal Elrod. Welcome to the show, Hal. Dave Asprey, Dave.Asprey on Instagram, by the way. I just made sure I went to go follow you. I'm like, oh, I'm, of course I'm already following Dave. What am I talking about? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're one of the 200 people I follow uh, as well, Hal. So. Oh, that's a huge honor, man. No, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it is good to be back and excited about uh, you know what I know we're going to dive into today. And 
the reason I want to have you back on is because you sort of, when you go for something, you go for it right. As if your car accident we talked about the first time wasn't enough. Since then, you were diagnosed with aggressive acute lymphoblastic leukemia in October of 2016. In fact, I think you were diagnosed about two weeks after we shared a ride to the airport together yeah. after um, after a conference. I remember sitting, you were sitting in the back of the car and I was giving you crap about uh, about kale and saying that stuff is gross. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and I was like, oh man, poor poor Hal. So I, I know you had tons of well-wishers well reach out to you at the time. Um, but you were... Uh, you were facing death again, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, very different circumstances for a lot of reasons. But one is the car accident was, you know, it was very sudden. I mean, it both were sudden, but the car accident, I woke up from a coma after I died. So I clinically, I died for six minutes at the scene of the accident. But I, you know, I, I was in a coma when the accident happened, right? My brain and body shut down. So I don't recall dying. I don't, I don't remember really anything from those first six days that I was in that coma. I came out of the coma and I had to face this reality that I had permanent brain damage. I would never walk again. And essentially life was going to get better. I would imagine better. I say as I was going to heal, right? Time would heal my body. Uh, I was also 20 years old when that happened. And I was a single guy. Uh, two years ago, I woke up in the middle of the night, unable to breathe and uh, or, or, or with difficulty breathing and gasping for air, uh, went into urgent care the next day, was misdiagnosed with pneumonia after multiple visits to multiple hospitals and second opinions and third opinions. Uh, yeah, they diagnosed a very rare and aggressive form of leukemia, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which has a tend with the specific type that I had has a 10 to 30% survival rate. And at this point I have, you know, I've I had a seven year old daughter and a four year old son and I'm married. And, um, as any parent can attest there, the, the, the thought of leaving my children without a dad and my wife without a husband, um, was, is the most terrifying thought of my life period. You know, um, it's one thing for me to go through something on my own, but, but, for it to affect my children potentially and them not having a dad um, was infinitely more difficult of a challenge to deal with um, than, uh, than than the car accident. And and also, you know, the 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 survival rate, if, if you know 10 to 30% survival rate, I always kind of spin it around and go, if you're a pessimist, that's like saying, you know, there is a 70 to 90% chance you're going to die yeah. in the next, you know, in the in the coming months. And so yeah, so that that was what what I was faced with. And, uh, and, and of course the first question looking up to the sky is going, God, what am I supposed to learn from another, you know, near death experience? Like I, I wasn't one enough and, you know, come to find out I, there was a lot, uh, the most valuable lessons I've learned in my life have come in the last couple of years. You wrote a new book since then called the miracle equation, which yeah. is really about raising consciousness. And, uh, I was part of a, a group, uh, at, uh, mastermind talks, uh, where we raised uh, a bunch of money just in, a, in an impromptu auction, you know, to help support your recovery. Because I mean, you you went to the ends of the earth to recover, and you did. Yeah. And I don't think you throw the the miracle word around particularly lightly, but you know, miracle is kind of a big word, and you know, the Catholic Church likes to talk about miracles, and they saint people for these, and it's also like miracle car polish. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like, it, it runs the gamut here. Sure. And I mean, what are you talking about when you talk about miracles? 
Yeah, no, it, it, you're right. It's a it's a really loaded word, and I think that for the most part, it has a it has a bad name. It has a bad rap, if you will. You know, if you you know talk about creating miracles or something, I think most people would roll their eyes and think that's a, it's a either either there's kind of one of two camps. It's, it's either this woo woo like yeah yeah miracles, um, or it's just it's these passive random acts, and um, and so that in, in that way that most people I don't think think they're very reliable or dependable or trustworthy. You know, it's kind of like you know the the if you want to create a miracle, it's the pray and wait strategy, right? And um, they're either passive or they're random. Where you know, in my book, I talk about the uh, I forget his name, but he fell you know fourteen thousand feet in a skydiving accident. His parachute never opened, and he bounced off the ground and lived. And you go, well, gosh, that 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 sounds like a miracle to fall fourteen thousand feet and live. But I don't know how that that story helps you or I right? Like the, the way that I define miracles is, uh, is not as this random passive, uh, or even religious act. And I'm not taking anything away from, from those types of miracles. Um, but for me, it's, I, I want dependability. Like I'm, I'm talking about creating tangible, measurable miracles in our lives. And so I'll, I'll redefine this word if, if we can, uh, sure. in a way that lends itself to giving us a degree of control over the so-called miracles that we create in our life. Um, so I define a miracle as any meaningful outcome that is beyond the realm of what you believe is probable for you. So I'll say that again, and I'll kind of break it down. So any meaningful outcome beyond the realm of what you believe is probable for you. And, and because it's beyond the realm of what you, what you believe to be probable for you, Dave, is it, it feels like a miracle, right? When you make that million dollars, when you finally write that book, when you run that marathon, when you find the love of your life, you're like, oh my gosh, I dreamt of this for so long. It felt like it was impossible. And I, 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 I maintained unwavering faith. I put forth extraordinary effort. It took longer than I anticipated, but I didn't give up. I, I gave it everything I had until... I achieved that result and I did, I did it, right? That's the type of miracle that I'm talking about. So in your definition, if you win the lottery, it's not a miracle. No, uh, if you work your ass luck. off and you, you achieve something beyond your expectations, your wildest expectations, you created a miracle. That's right, yeah. It, it, winning the lottery is chance, luck, uh, maybe there's a miracle involved, right? If you worked really hard and you bought, uh, you know, a thousand lottery tickets a year and, you know, I mean, right, like you and you scratched them all. Well, shoot, that's extraordinary effort right there. You you, you deserve that lottery winning. Do you, know, but, uh, yeah. do you know about the one guy who actually did that? He he figured out how big the lottery was. He figured out the number of tickets. He did the math and said, if I can get an investor to give me whatever, $10 million, oh, wow. I'll buy one of every number. And he put in a supply chain to buy enough tickets, and he actually beat the lottery. He beat the lottery. Wow, that's amazing. That like, makes that, sense. That was a miracle and a great, epic, elegant hack. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which also it brings me to that that next perspective about miracles. Then, so the idea is, if your expectations are low, miracles are easy. And if you have really high expectations, because you think more things are probable than really are, it's harder to have miracles if you're really positive than if you're a super skeptic. Yeah, well, and let me say this about, you know, there, there's an important word in that definition, right, which is beyond the realm of what you believe to be probable for you, not possible for you. And, and I say that because if you're an optimist, right, if you're part of the optimist club and you abide by the optimist credo, which is anything is possible, right, then, <laughs> right, but, but possible is rarely enough to get us out of bed in the morning with the drive and the commitment to make our biggest dreams and our biggest goals a reality. Um, you think about that, like Dave, when was the, you know, how often do people pursue goals that are not, they don't believe are probable? In other words, it, the idea of going, I don't think it's very likely I can achieve that. So I'm going to give it everything I have and put forth extraordinary effort until I do, right? Most of us, 
And that's why I think the average person, most people, we, we play so much smaller than we're capable of. We, accept, you know, we stay within our comfort zone because you go, well, we want this sense of certainty. We want probability. We go, well, I, I know that if I show up to my job, I'll keep getting the same amount of money. And that does give me security to pay my bills so it feels safe. Whereas people that that create extraordinary lives, the life that we all want, right, a life of freedom, a life of of, of you know purpose, uh, they 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 all start out by making the first decision of the miracle equation, and they step out on the faith that they can do something that they've never done before. That when they check their rearview mirror, they have no evidence that shows that they can do that. And that's, I mean, again, everybody is born with nothing, with no knowledge, no skills, no capability, no experience, no resume, right? So every extraordinary person on the planet which just ordinary people who commit to creating extraordinary results start by stepping out on the faith that they can do something that they've never done before. And often it's never been done before. You look at Elon Musk, right? Creating an electric car, you know, that was for the masses like that. There was no evidence. Sometimes you can look to other people and go, well, they've done something like I want to do so I can kind of model what they've done. So, but either way, it's either it's the faith, not in some higher power, and I'm not discounting God or any higher power, but it's the faith in your ability to achieve anything that you are fully committed to achieving. And in this book, it's all about making these two decisions that are deceptively simple in their explanation, unwavering faith and extraordinary effort. It's not about understanding what those two decisions are. It's about understanding how to make them consistently over and over and over, over an extended period of time so that your biggest goals literally do move from just being a possibility to a probability to an inevitability. So there's people who write about manifesting, even Jack Canfield, who's been on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the idea of, of sort of creating certainty and that when you see something is happening inevitably, it's suddenly easier to make it happen than before. Yeah. Um, and in your book, I mean, you're, you're writing about your own mindset in the miracle equation and all. Uh, and I, I've covered a bunch of your your topics in Game Changers, even Law Fourteen. You're featured in the book. Yes, thank uh, you, my friend. That was an honor. Oh, you're you're very welcome. But your idea of you know what you do in the morning uh, matters greatly. It was echoed by so many people um, who I interviewed when you asked the top three most important things. So I thought you were obviously the biggest example of that with what you're uh, with what you're doing. Uh, but in in your new book, how do you tell people? how to create that inevitable thing. I mean, if, if you have big dreams and you're saying, I, I want to, you know, go to the moon or I want to create a company that's going to go to the moon like Naveen did, uh, Naveen Jane, yeah. you know, uh, go to the moon to mine for asteroids and stuff like that. How, how do, how would someone listening get that sense of inevitability for something that everyone else says is crazy? So I think that it it starts with redefining what what the purpose of a goal is. And and I in the book I have a chapter called the real purpose of a goal. And the premise I think this is a good time I'll kind of I'll share the origin story cuz this really tells this this the answers your question in the form of kind of a story and, and the lessons within it. Um the miracle equation preceded the miracle morning by 6 years as a concept. So people that follow my work from the you know from the outside in, you're like, oh, so he did the miracle morning, and now he's doing the miracle equation, and you know, great, right? Uh, but no, it actually the irony is that the miracle equation, the formula, not the book, the formula is what I used to not only walk again, not only beat cancer, but it's what I used to sell 1.7 million copies of the miracle morning, and you know, and counting. Um, that's the formula that I used to to write and and, and create the miracle morning. So. 
But the origin story, when this started, but, I was... By the way, can, can I just say, I've only done a half a million copies, and God damn it, <laughs> you have to teach me. <laughs> All right, we'll do that on another another uh, interview, different topic. How to, Congratulations. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, well, I just I went to Brazil uh, a few weeks ago and I found my publisher handed me a plaque that said, congratulations on selling 500,000 copies of The Miracle Morning in Brazil. And I had zero idea. I thought maybe I'd sold 50,000 copies. So that added, I went, whoa, our total just went way up. That's nice. Crazy. So Brazil is the answer. All right. Brazil is the, yeah, Brazil. Brazil, the, I'm coming for you. That's it. Portuguese. <laughs> that's the language right there. Um, so, so I was, so here's how this, this whole all came to be. I was 20 years old. I was one of the top salespeople for the company that I had worked for for a year and a half at that point, which was Cutco Cutlery. I sold Cutco kitchen knives, in-home presentations, direct sales, you know, not, not the, uh, the easiest of jobs. Um, and I had broken a lot of the company records. Well, this one particular sales contest, it's called a push period. You push yourself to, you know, do your best. Um, during this push period, a push period is normally 14 days. And I had sold $20,000 in a 14-day push period, and I had done it twice in a row. And there was only a few people that had ever done that. No one had ever done it three times in a row. Now, the problem is, when you achieve an extraordinary goal, usually, not only do you give it everything you have, that extraordinary effort that we're going to talk about, but luck seems to show up, right? And you can relate to that, Dave. And every successful person, you, you, you almost oh, yeah. always hear them talk about that in their interviews on how they, man, if I wouldn't have been at the right place at the right time, and I met this one person who introduced me to this one person, and then I tripped and fell and spilt coffee on this producer who ended it, right? Yeah. I mean, like, it's like the craziest shit that you could never predict. And so my first two $20,000 push periods, I, I looked at, man, I got lucky. If that lady wouldn't have called and then on that one appointment, the neighbor came over and she ordered a set two. And you know what I mean? Like I, the, the odds of this happening a third time are slim to none. So I spent a couple of weeks leading up to the push period, getting myself mentally, you know, kind of that de developing that unwavering faith. Like I can do this. I'm committed. If I give it everything I have, it's possible. I can do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Right. Getting myself, you know, motivated and driven to, to commit. And then I went to our sales meeting the day before the contest started. And again, this is a four, normally a 14-day sales contest. And our manager said, hey, everybody, just want to let you know, uh, remember, the conference got moved back four days. So you don't have the full 14 days. You have 10 days to hit your goals. So you may want to adjust your goals accordingly. And I did not know this. And I raised my hand and I go, Franklin, Franklin, please tell me that this doesn't count toward the sales records because we don't get the full 14 days, right? He said, Hal, I'm, I'm sorry, this, this is a, it still counts. And so my heart sank and I'm like, no, like the idea of wrapping my head around doing $20,000 in 14 days feels nearly impossible. So if you're taking away 30% of my time frame, more, you know, four days of like, it went from impossible, almost impossible to, there's no way that that's not possible. $2,000 a day for, you know, for, for 10 days in a row, I've never done that before. And so I went home that night and I'm mulling it over in my head. I'm, I'm, I'm tossing and turning, trying to fall asleep. And I remember this lesson that I learned from one of my mentors, Dan Cassetta, one of the top managers in our company. And he learned this from, I believe, his mentor, Jim Rohn. And I'll paraphrase the lesson. The, Jim's lesson is that the real purpose of a goal is not to hit the goal. The real purpose of a goal is to develop the qualities and characteristics of someone who can reach goals during by giving it everything you have, regardless of your results along the way. So in other words, whether or not you hit the goal pales in comparison in terms of the benefit as to 
If you set a goal, you give it everything you have, every moment of every day, you maintain unwavering faith before the extraordinary effort and you get to the end and you don't reach the goal, who you became extends for the rest of your life. Right. You know, if you if you hit the goal and you make some money or whatever, it's like, well, whatever, you're going to spend that, you're going to forget that, the glory is going to fade, et cetera. So I, I remembered that lesson and I went, well, wait a minute. What if I, what if I, what if I approach it from that angle? What if I actually commit to give it everything I have to sell $20,000 in 10 days, regardless of my results along the way or at the end, knowing that the, the ultimate benefit is me developing the mindset, the qualities, the habits, the discipline, the commitment that will serve me for the rest of my life and every other goal I set. I thought, well, I can't fail if I approach that. And th- th- that that's really the answer to your question. I'm going to keep going with the story, but that's kind mm-hmm. of the answer to your question is you realize it, it doesn't matter if these big audacious goals, any one of them, if you are going to hit it or not, you may hit it, you may not. It may You may hit it, but it takes three times as long as you thought. Or what happens more often than not, Dave, and again, I know you can relate to this, on the journey to the one goal, you go, oh, wait a minute, I actually want something completely different. It's often bigger and better because as you journey toward the goal, your vision for what's possible, not only for your life and your future, but what you're capable of, right? That expands your vision of because you're becoming better than you are now through the journey, not the destination, right? So I decided I'm going to go for it. I'm going to give it everything I have to sell $20,000 in 10 days, even though I don't believe it's possible. And I want, I, I want to, I want to, I want to dive in on a lesson real quick again, which is Dave, I didn't actually, if you would, so if you would have said, Hal, are you going to sell $20,000 in 10 days? That was the unwavering faith piece that I committed to is I, no words are allowed to come out of my mouth or even in my head, and unless I, you know, I'm gonna, if they come in, I'm going to replace them. But no words are allowed to come out of my mouth other than I am committed. And this is what I would call the miracle mantra. So this is literally what, how you phrase your goals. I am committed to giving it everything I have to sell $20,000 in 10 days, regardless of my results. No matter what, there is no other option. And what we focus on expands. What we focus on becomes our reality. What we focus on directs our behavior. And an unwavering faith is simply a commitment in writing that directs your focus and your behavior to keep moving in the direction. So that's the unwavering faith piece. And I committed. So if you would have said, Hal, are you going to sell $20,000 in 10 days? I would have said, yes, there's no other option. If you would have said, Hal, put your money where your mouth is. I'll bet you $10,000 that you're not going to sell $20,000 in 10 days. I would have never bet you that money, Dave, because I would, didn't actually believe based on statistics, probability, the law of averages, that I was going to sell that number. But that didn't change that I was committed to give it everything I have and maintain the faith that it was possible the entire way. Okay, what would happen if you sold $6,000? I've done that plenty of times. So, well, what happens internally in your head? Because you got people listening who are saying, maybe I want to join Dave on his living to 180 thing. You know, maybe and you do. If you're thinking pounds. that, you do. Stop thinking and do it. Anyway, keep well, going. <laughs> uh, there you go. Thank you. Weasel words all over the place. But <laughs> but it's, it's like decide and, and execute. But I want to know all of those people are worried. Okay, if, if I decide I'm going to do something that's supposed to be impossible and I fail, then X. So what was your, what's your mental process for failure on miracles? It, it's, it's, it's accepting it as a possibility. So it is um, in the book, there is a chapter called Becoming Emotionally Invincible. 
And this is the foundation of what I've been teaching since I had my car accident, right? I was hit head on by a drunk driver at 80 miles an hour, found dead at the scene, came out of the coma six days later, told I would never walk again. So I don't care what age you are, but you imagine at 20 years old, right? You're, you're like, I, I have a lot of goals that involve walking. That's what I was thinking, you know? And, and so that was really devastating news. But so here's the process. This is how to become emotionally invincible, the very short version, right? The Cliff Notes version, which is um, you have to understand the root of every negative emotion. And when I say negative, I mean destructive. Destructive emotions can, are, there's negative emotions, which you'd call anger or fear, but those can serve us when you learn from them, when you use them to keep, to heighten your awareness, et cetera. However, destructive emotions are those negative emotions that you dwell on over and over and over, and they cause you to get discouraged, feel depressed, get sad, get angry. You perpetuate them, and they create destructive energy uh, and behaviors within your life, right? So that's those are destructive emotions. So you have to understand the root of every destructive emotion that you've ever felt. Every negative, painful emotion that you've ever felt or feeling now or could ever feel the rest of your life. Every negative emotion that we've ever felt or feeling now or could ever feel is self-created and almost completely optional. And it's self-created by our resistance to our reality. There so in other you words, go. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I'm just, I, I'm loving this. And the reason I wanted to have you on is when we look at getting control of our own biology, we look at the whole biohacking angle, you got to deal with your hardware. And if you have resistance on that, like, oh, I... I, I'm going to eat the potato chips even though I know that I don't want to. Okay, there's an example of the thing that you just mentioned, Hal. But the whole stack of, of upgrading yourself and having control is you got to get your software programming right. And what you're talking about there is core belief systems and understanding where resistance comes from. It's just as important to fix your mitochondria as it is to get your, your understanding of where resistance in reality comes from. So. Gotcha talking about the personal development side of things and having you on the show, it is no more or less important than putting butter in your coffee. And sure, that which I do, do every it, day. Oh, dude, that's, that's fantastic. So either in you fact, do it right or you do it that's wrong. That's how I prep for this call, this thing. This is my butter coffee all done. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But yeah. but it's like, I I'm, the more I do this, the harder I'm, harder time I'm having drawing a line between taking care of your physical body so you can show up all the way and taking care of your mental environment so that you don't just fill it with junk thoughts and junk garbage and things that aren't true and then act in such a way. How do you think about that line between the physical and the emotional? I mean, for me, uh, you know, I'm just always trying to optimize both. They're just, right, different different aspects of of optimizing yourself as a human being. You know, and you could, you could say there's the, you know, P-I-E-S, right? Physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual, your pies, if you will. Um, and so, you know, so to me, it's just optimizing both. Uh, and, uh, and so for, you know, for me, I mean, yeah, butter coffee, you know, eating, a eating a very healthy diet, uh, lots of living foods, um, high fats, uh, lots of supplements, you know, that are, you know, vetted out that sort of thing. So, yeah. So for me, it's just optimizing both. I, I don't know that okay. there's a line. I, I think you, you've got to do both as well. Um, yeah. my, my experience is that if you're not taking care of the physical, it's much harder to do the emotional because you don't have enough energy to push through the hard stuff. Yeah. But you have to do both. Yeah, no, it's very true. And if you have low, low energy causes, you know, just about every, right? You think about when you're high energy, you're rarely unhappy. You know, they, they kind of go hand in hand, you know, low energy and, and, and unhappiness or low energy and, and feeling lethargic or feeling lazy or feel right. I mean, they, they you know, they, or having even a bad outlook, you know, energy has impacts that so much. All right. So we're in alignment there. Yeah. 
right, you're you're the kind of guy who just likes to use highly loaded terms. Okay, in the miracle equation, and I mean, it just hit shelves. I got an early um, an early edition copy of it, so I could I could get a chance to read through it. Um, you talk about okay, miracle, which is already super loaded, and then yeah. right on top of that, you use the other F word, which is faith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Two very loaded words, right? And and both of those, if you're a hardcore bioengineer or a computer scientist, you're like, okay, miracles are not well defined, but you just yeah. you just did define it. It means doing something that you didn't think was possible, or that was highly improbable, and doing yeah. somehow making it happen, uh, which is cool. So now we've taken that out of the the land of of you know pure myth into something that all right, did you beat the odds and did you do it consistently? Yeah, uh, that's kind of cool that means you suck at odds or you've created miracles one <laughs> of the two right but then the other one faith and you you teach something in the miracle equation called the faith effort feedback loop yeah. right what's the hal elrod definition of faith and and just tell me george michael's involved and it'd be funny yeah of course got to have faith to faith to faith <laughs> um so you didn't know i was gonna break out in song but uh the uh, so so yeah the way that I define faith again which again a loaded term right and and, and also one that often is a a pass you know I'm, I'm very anti passive right for me it's you know whether it was my car accident or whatever I believe that to the degree that we accept responsibility for any or every aspect of our life determines the degree of control that we have or influence that we have over our life and our results right so I mean I'm all about it's all about full unconditional unwavering you know responsibility. Um, so when it comes to faith, it's not about faith that someone else or something else or some other higher power. And again, I'm not discounting that. Um, but but it's not about sitting back and passively maintaining faith that things will work out, which is often, again, that's what gives faith a bad name. It's like, oh, yeah, you just have faith and you sit back and wait. You make your vision board and you stare at it and you have faith that those images that you cut out uh, of the magazines will magically fly into your life, right? They'll be attracted into your life. So, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm not about that kind of faith. I'm, I'm referring to faith in yourself, faith in your abilities. Uh, and you can even say faith in the general goodness of, you know, humanity and the universe and kind of karma. And that if you do good things and you work hard and you put forth great results that you'll tend to, you know, that will come back to you in terms of the relationships that you create, the people that you do attract because the type of person that you are, um, the, what the results that you deserve, like the law of attraction to me, it's not attraction, right? It's, it's you, you put forth effort and then you attract, you know, kind of par a parallel level of, of result. And so that if there's any attraction, it's that it's you attracting based on the effort that you're putting out and what that, what that pulls toward you. So faith and belief are kind of interchangeable there. I mean, it seems like faith sure. it, from a more mystical context is like faith in the unseen or unprovable. But you're saying, yeah. well, if you believe it, then it's faith. Well, it, yes. And so, yeah, those words are definitely interchangeable. They're synonyms, right? Um, but in terms of faith uh, in the unseen, you think about this. Uh, find a person on the planet that has achieved extraordinary results, right? So the most successful individuals in any walk of life, you know, could be world champion athletes. Like Layla Ali, for example, gave me an endorsement for the book. And she's in the Miracle Morning movie. She practices the Miracle Morning every day. Muhammad Ali's daughter, she's an 18-time world champion boxer. The way that she, what she told me, like her, her uh, the quote that she wrote for the book was that, that what the Miracle Equation has done is this has deconstructed what the world's greatest athletes 
so athletes being obviously one walk of life of someone who is elite, who is a top yeah. performer. Um, she said he's de Hal's deconstructed the two decisions that that the world's greatest athletes live by. Like this is just a fundamental way of living. So what I'm saying is, good luck find find me someone who achieved extraordinary results that didn't have to establish faith in themselves at some point that they could do something that they'd never done before. And again, because we're all born babies, no one's ever done anything that they need to do to take their life to the next level, right? No one's born shooting a basketball. No one's born swinging a golf club. No one's born with, unless you inherit money, right? With, with that, that, you know, if you're a self-made millionaire, you had to step out on faith that you could do something, that you could generate an outcome that looking in your, in your past, in your rearview mirror, there was no evidence that you could do that. So in the miracle equation, you say that there's two decisions that are super counterintuitive. Walk mm -hmm. listeners through both of those things in the miracle equation and just tie that back to faith for me. Yeah. So the first division, <laughs> I'm making it words. The first decision is uh, unwavering faith or specifically to develop unwavering faith. And the second okay. decision is to maintain extraordinary effort. And at first, when you first hear those, like I say that they are deceptively simple in their explanation, but it's not about the explanation. It's not just understanding them. It's they're rare in their execution. And, and you just mentioned this, they're, they're counter, you know, I say they're counterintuitive to human nature. And here's why. It is, it is not natural for us to establish the faith that we can do something we've never done before. Because again, our, we, we look at our past to create our identity. And you, you, when we're faced with new, with whether it's a challenge or an opportunity, we check the past, check the rear view and go, well, who am I? Who have I proven that I am? And who, what am I capable of? And we check the rear view. And so the first, the first part of faith, there's really two parts to it. it no, first is establishing it. And that's the easy part. It's not easy, but it's the easier part. And that um, if, you know, if you're part of the optimist club and you believe anything is possible, then you, it's, you know, they call that uninformed optimism, right? Which is like, I listen to enough motivational stuff that I believe I can do anything, right? right. And so you're like, I can do anything, right? And, and then what, here's the problem is it's, it's, it's one thing to establish the faith you can do something you've never done. Now, the majority of society that isn't into personal development, they, they typically don't do that. They just look at their, you know, they just keep going to work and making a living and, and keep kind of living the life that they're living, right? And then, but people that pursue personal development they then are like, all right, I can do anything. I've, you know, I'm, I, I've gone to the conferences, I know, but here's the problem. They establish the faith and they go, yep, and they set a goal and they write it down like they learned at their training and they went, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna make a million dollars. But the problem is maintaining that faith so that it is, it is unwavering. Most people's faith wavers very quickly as soon as they, they set it on the path to achieve a, a, an extraordinary goal. As soon as it doesn't go as planned, their expectations are not met. They don't have the start that they wanted. They hit a roadblock. They hit a failure, right? The faith goes right out the window and they're like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I guess I was kidding myself, right? So that's the, so, so when it comes to faith, establishing it is the first part and it's required, but it's maintaining it. And maintaining it is the part, you know, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was given a 30% chance of living. So statistically, I, I, there, there was a 70% chance I was going to die. So the way that I maintained unwavering faith, this isn't rocket science. Like this is, I could teach my, you know, you can teach a first grader how to, how to maintain unwavering faith. And I, you know, I've, I've kind of already alluded to it. It's in writing, you know, creating a statement, mine uh, with, the, with the push period, my original miracle mantra was I am committed to giving it everything I have to sell $20,000 in 10 days, regardless of my results, no matter what, there's no other option. 
right? And I literally said that probably a hundred or, or more than a hundred times during that those 10 days. And I said it most when I had a no sale because that tends to plant a seed of self-doubt for us or a seed of fear, right? When you, when you encounter that obstacle, that roadblock, and then it grows because you focus on that seed, you water it with your thoughts, you go, uh-oh, Maybe I was kidding myself. Uh-oh, maybe the goal was too big. Oh, maybe I'm not capable. Who am I thinking? What, who, right? And then it grows. And then it, it throw, once the faith goes out the window, you lose the drive for the effort. And just to be really clear, if you're listening to this, this is what I do with living to at least 180. It, mm-hmm. It's exactly this. It's inevitable. I, I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to lose faith along the way. And the unwavering effort, that's also how I built Bulletproof. Yeah. And it's how I do a lot of the stuff that I do now. The problem, though, Hal, is that it is really easy to lose the faith, or you could call it to lose heart. Like, oh, you had a rough day, you know, your your business lost the big deal, or, you know, something bad happened, or a relationship changes, or whatever. And, and people lose their mojo. And in fact, it's a yeah. common reason we have coaches. It's why I started a coaching institute, the Human Performance Institute, the Bulletproof Coaches and all. Um. What's your advice for when, <laughs> when when people have that? Okay, you know it. It I I was self delusional. I I don't, you know I I don't believe my own hype anymore, and I'm not motivated. And and they sit they wake up in the morning and that's happened. What's the first thing they should do? So when you've um you know so first and foremost right the one thing that you can't teach someone is whether or not to be committed right and, and, and you know and if you're to if you're to black and white success, it's either you're committed or you're not. Like that's, that's the simplest way to define it, right? You're either committed or you're not. And, and, and because, uh, and now it may take much longer than you thought. So you might go, well, but I've been committed for five years and I'm still not there. Well, okay, well be committed until, <laughs> you know, that word until is one of the most powerful words in the English language. You got to circle it. You got to underline it three times, right? That's, that's the miracle equation. And, and people that achieve these, you know, miracles, if you will, tangible, measurable miracles, um, they, they committed until, and it almost always took longer than you thought. I want one of my favorite, you know, I don't know if you'd call it a quote or a philosophy or an adage, but is it takes 10 years to be an overnight success, you know? And the question Amen. becomes, what are you willing to commit 10 years to the same thing? You know, and Miracle Morning is a great example of that, you know, Dave. And most people, when I, they hear this story, they're, I'll, I'll share a quick story about this. They, they're usually really surprised. They, they they see the Miracle Morning all over the place and they go, wow, you know, Hal's one of these authors. He's got, you know, sold over a million books. He's this big name author. But when I launched the Miracle Morning, I had no platform. I did, I, I, I you know, the first month, the Miracle Morning sold 1,800 copies, which that's not New York Times, right? I mean, that's not even, that's barely Amazon Times. Yeah, <laughs> any, any professional author who knows 1,800 for a book launch uh, that's a pretty crappy launch, Hal. I Thank mean, you. Right. So yeah. I was not, I was not an established anything, right? I wasn't a Tim Ferriss why I had all these blogs. I didn't know anybody. I didn't. Yeah. So I sold 1800 books, but here's the crazy part, Dave. I applied the miracle equation to the miracle morning, meaning because I had received dozens of emails from people that had applied the miracle morning before it was even a book when I was just teaching it in like, you know, conferences or whatever speeches and, and audios. And, um, I had enough people saying, Hal, I was not a morning person my entire life. And I this miracle morning, it's changed my life. I've overcome my depression. I've started, you know, this, I've done that, I've achieved this goal and that goal. It, because that I call that microcosm evidence or micro right, where I went, well, wait a minute. If it changed these 20 people's lives dramatically, I have a responsibility to get it to 20 million lives because it yes. will change their lives. And that's not going to happen overnight. 
And so I committed, I will maintain unwavering faith. And the mission for the Miracle Morning when it started, and it's grown because we've surpassed it, was change 1 million lives one morning at a time. And I had in writing, I am committed to doing everything in my power to change 1 million lives one morning at a time, no matter how long that takes. That was my miracle equation mantra for the Miracle Morning. And the first month, 1,800 copies. Second month, 900. Third month, 700. Fourth month, 383. Fifth month, 172 copies. So if you look at the trajectory, and I have a graph of this, and you see people are like, why would you keep promoting it? You were doing dozens of podcast interviews every week and you weren't selling any books. And then just the graph goes on and on and on. And it was a, it took me a year and a half over a dozen television interviews around the country, over 150 podcast interviews to get my monthly sales back up to the first month, a year and a half. That's extraordinary effort, unwavering faith. And if I would have given up after month two or three or seven or nine or 12, or 15, like 90% of authors tell me that they do. They go, dude, I promoted hard for a month and then I'd switch to my next book or my next venture or the next squirrel. I started chasing the next rabbit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they go, I, if I would have put forth that extraordinary effort over that extended period of time, for uh, who knows what my book would be doing right now, right? And that's how you create a tangible, measurable miracle. You don't pray, you don't hope. I mean, yes, you can pray. Yes, you can hope, Right. But you don't, it's not a passive pursuit. It's you to find the miracle. You maintain unwavering faith in writing and you do that every day, put forth extraordinary effort. And so if you're not motivated, Dave, right, then revisit your, your so we can go into, I guess we could break this down, but I, 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 I have you create a, a, an affirmation, not in the way that they've been taught for centuries, which are very fruity and fluffy and money flows to me because I'm a magnet of whatever, blah, blah, blah. But how do you create affirmations that are that are programming your subconscious mind and directing your active conscious behavior so that you are moving the direction of your biggest goals and dreams so they do they become inevitable? So here's four quick steps. All right. I, I started yep. to go into this path, so I gotta give this. So the reason affirmations are are ineffective for most people is because either you've been taught to lie to yourself. If you want to be wealthy, just say, I am a millionaire over and over and over until you believe it. But that just piles liar on top of you don't have the money you want right now. Yeah, uh, now, now I'm just crazy because uh, now you're just yeah. Now I'm saying I'm a, yeah. You go I am a millionaire, and then your subconscious mind goes, dude, no, you're not. <laughs> you're like, yeah. shut up! I'm doing my affirmations. I am a millionaire. It's like you're not even a thousandaire, bro. And you're like, shut up. <laughs> so, so step one is uh, you got to overcome the lying to yourself element with not don't 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 affirm that you are something that you're not. Affirm what you're committed to becoming or committed to achieving. So step one is I am committed to blank. I'm committed to becoming a millionaire. I'm committed to losing 20 pounds. I'm committed to writing my first book by December 31st, 2019, right? I am committed to blank. Now, when you affirm that, you're affirming the one thing I mentioned that's black and white when it comes to success, which is whether or not you're committed. That's it. If you're committed to achieving a result, that's black and white. You are committed to doing whatever it takes for as long as it takes. Your success is inevitable. Right, So you start your affirmation for your miracle equation with, I am committed to achieving blank result. Step two is, why is that deeply meaningful to you? Right, And that's where the rubber meets the road. It's where we get leverage over ourselves. Yeah. So that really answers your question of, well, what if you yeah. don't feel motivated? Well, I wanted to be wealthy when I was 20. I thought I had a goal of being a millionaire by the time I was 25. Then I turned 25 and I wasn't even a 100,000 air, let alone a millionaire. And I went, okay, well, I guess I got to move the goalpost to 30. I moved it to 30. Wasn't a millionaire by the 30. And I went, man, I'm not you know, why am I not achieving this goal? I'm 30 years old. I'm not where I thought I'd be financially. And then when I was 30, I had a daughter 
And then I had an affirmation that affirmed I'm committed to you know becoming a multimillionaire because I'm the sole provider for my wife and my daughter. And I'm committed to providing financial freedom and security for, for me and for them, for our family. Once I had legs, once I had leverage, right? There's my friend John Broman says that when your why has actually I don't remember the quote. Anyway, but it's about the importance of having a why. Yeah. Simon Sinek. Tell me miracle memory isn't one of your books. No, that's yeah, that, that, that that'll be <laughs> I'll have to write that with you. We'll, it'll be we'll, all about we'll have our buddy uh, I need Jim, to take more. We'll have our buddy Jim Quick back on. I'm totally teasing. That you. is true. I that is true. Well either. Yeah. So anyway, um, I forgot where I was going. Oh yeah. So 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 step two is why is it deeply meaningful to you? Step three is what are the specific actions that you're going to take? Like in the book, you know, one of the decisions is extraordinary effort. So for me, in the book, I really work hard for you on making extraordinary effort feel ordinary. Because if it feels extraordinary, you're going to shy away from it, right? It's not just about hard work. In fact, I, I would actually say uh, different. Extraordinary effort, if I had to, to define it in one word, it's consistency, right? It's not about Gary Vaynerchuk in it, 80-hour workdays and you know what I mean? Like it's, it's about if you, do, if you just commit, if you've got a goal or a dream that's going to radically transform your life, well, then how important is that to you? You've got to dedicate time to achieving it. If you have just one hour in your day, every day, where you do one thing that moves you in the direction of that goal or dream. Like, I'm sorry, this isn't more complicated, <laughs> guys and gals. But if you do one thing each day, but you do it for as long as it takes, that's what makes the effort extraordinary. It's that it's consistent. It's that it's focused and in alignment with your outcome, your ideal outcome. All right. And it's that you do it consistently for as long as it takes. And most people yeah. don't do that. It's counterintuitive. You, 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 know, you get bored, you change gears, you shift. Okay, well, how committed are you? And that's really what it boils down to. You can use self-deception there. So I decided, look, I'm going to create this, this blog as you know, Bulletproof. Yeah. And I want to write down all the stuff that would have changed my life if I'd known it when I was 20. Stuff that I've spent a million dollars at this point figuring out and, and just kind of had this odyssey around the world. Uh, and yeah. it wasn't meant to, to really even be a business. But still, I said, so I'm just going to log in every night. Uh, I'm going to restrict my sleep to less than five hours every night. I'm going to use the extra time to write. So every night for the first year of Bulletproof, actually more than a year, um, I was working in a big job. You know, we just, just had uh, you know, two young kids. And I'm just staying up late, writing down all the stuff that someone should have told me. Yep. And here's where self-deception comes in. I used a crappy blogging platform that I knew was crappy, but I just didn't have time in order to put in things like proper metrics. And this blog platform overrepresented my traffic levels by 10x. So I'm writing this blog <laughs> going, hallelujah, it's a miracle. I've got so many people reading my blog. I'm so motivated to get up and do more. I can't let these 50,000 people down. I was getting 5,000 readers, not 50,000 readers. And when I thought I had 5,000 readers, I had 500 readers, right? But I was so motivated by this utter self-deception uh, that what I didn't even know was happening. And I figured it out about 12 or 18 months in when I switched to a new platform. But by then, I had real traffic and huge engagement, and people were, were saying, oh, my God, like this stuff changed my life, and I was off to the races. Yeah. I look back, and I wonder, hey, would I have had that wake up or not wake up but you know stay up and just write and create and do all the the incredible work that that it took to do that 
um, if I'd have known that it wasn't having the impact that I convinced myself it was. So yeah, it's a story. The question for you though is, is it a good idea or do you recommend it or is it a bad idea to actually put in systems to sort of deceive yourself that it's working even when it's not so you'll be more motivated? Um, so a couple things I would say on that. Number one is directly to answer your question. Uh, that depends on the person. Okay. I think that self-deception can work, you know, um, right for, uh, and, and I say that, I mean, I, I mean, I, I always, I mean, I lean toward the truth will always prevail. Yeah, it will. But if you have a little, tri- but if you have a little, little, you know, mental trick, right? Little mental, when I say self-deception, I mean, little mental tricks, right? That, that can, that can give you, give you uh, encouragement to keep going. But I think that the reality is just to every day at the end of the day, I, I'm calling this my miracle evening, is to really reflect, you know, kind of combine reflection, celebration, and anticipation. So reflecting on your day and really looking at what did I do today that was that moved me in the direction of my biggest goals, my biggest dreams, my predetermined, you know, the outcomes that I'm that I'm after. And 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 really to gain your your drive from real numbers and what you're doing. And and to your point, if you would have realized and found out that you're only getting 5,000 downloads instead of 50,000 downloads, right? Um I mean, the, I just what 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 immediately came up for me is remembering when I was doing, you know, 10 to 30 podcast interviews every week and my sales were dropping every single month on Miracle Morning and I was making almost no money for it. How if did I, you, and here's, did you let, just let me, suck at podcasts? So I want to, I want to get your point, but I just have to ask like, like did, they were you, the smallest podcast in the world. Oh, okay, I was, that was doing nobody goes, podcast. Oh yeah. There was 30 okay, listeners keep, keep on a podcast. Yeah. That doesn't sound yeah, possible. Yeah. I get it. I no, I started cause then I knew nobody, man. I, I started the way that I, I found, I, I went to new and noteworthy. I scrolled to the lowest performing new and noteworthy and I went, okay, they're new, so they're not getting inundated by podcast or by by podcast requests. But they at least are. They got a little bit of traction. But again, they're you know they're getting seven downloads an episode or whatever, right? So, um, so yeah, I was on anyone's and everyone's podcast. Uh, I was a lot of people. I was I actually was a lot of. I had a. It was like a running joke where I was people's first. There was a bunch of people where I was the first guest on the first episode that they ever had. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but here's the point, Dave. Um, the the answer is. If you live the miracle equation, and, and that's what I say, this is a fundamental way of living. These two decisions aren't something that you just you like a get rich quick and make these decisions so you can hit this one goal. This is fundamentally changing the way you approach every decision. I mean, every every opportunity that comes your way, every challenge that comes your way. The miracle equation is I apply it to being told I have 30% chance of living. I apply it to being told I will never walk again. I also apply it to earning you know, becoming a millionaire and, and achieve, you know, and, and, and writing a book. And so whether it's achieving an extraordinary goal or, or, or overcoming an extraordinary adversity, these two decisions, when you commit to them, and in part of the book, you know, at the end is there's the 30 day miracle equation challenge. And I, I simply modeled that because it was a experiment in the miracle morning book. And it's why the miracle morning is practiced daily by, and it's now over a million people. I, I know in the bio you have, it's me 500,000, but I'll, I'm updating it now. But the point is that so I gave them a 30-day challenge and I made it so easy. Like I held, I am holding your hand because if you don't change your behavior, nothing changes, right? If all you do is read a book and you get some new ideas and you're like, oh, this is great. It rarely does the highest value for us come in the form of information. What we need is, is methods for implementation more than new information. And of course, it's, you know, that's a, the irony is, I mean, of course it's information that you're reading and learning to get the methods of implementation, you know? Right. But the point is, is how do you get yourself to do it? And so unwavering faith and extraordinary effort, again, they're, they're too simple in just the explanation. 
You can't just hear them and go, oh yeah, that's going to change my life. You have to understand how do I integrate these into my daily life so that 30 days from now, 30 days from you know finishing the book, you go, oh, I actually like I've been executing these each and every day. So they're fundamentally becoming part of who I who I am. So that everything that ever comes my way, every goal, every every challenge, every opportunity, every dream, every, you know, it, it, it's it's I'm not the same person I was 30 days ago. And that's what it's about. It's transforming fundamentally how you think, how you show up, how you behave, so that in 30 days, unwavering faith is your de facto mindset. It's your default mindset and extraordinary effort is has become ordinary. And it's you're just every day you're doing something now and you're seeing measurable progress towards the things that are most important to you. And they maybe have been on your list of you know dreams or goals for years, but now you're finally going to get traction. All right. That is some seriously sound advice, Hal. Um, I, I find your work just really interesting. And by the way, I hate early mornings, <laughs> right? Uh, and and I, I finally... I finally sat down with you know some circadian rhythm biologist Sachin Panda and uh, Michael Bruce, and it turns out early morning is maybe a different word. It's a different time for different people. Yeah, uh, like I, I did the five a.m. wake up thing. I think before you wrote the first miracle morning for a couple years, and I'm like, yeah, there's some value here, but also like it it didn't match what felt right for my didn't brain. Didn't feel right. Yeah, yeah. But the practice of what you do and whatever is early by your own standards. So for me, and if, if for me, early is 7 uh, or 6.30 yeah. instead of 5. It doesn't really matter. Sure. It's a little bit nope. before I wanted it to be, but it wasn't like absurdly early for me. Um, yeah. You seem like you, you nailed it in a real prescriptive way and you navigate this method where you talk somewhat about the science, but you're also like, look, it's a miracle. I use the M word. Like, I, I don't know exactly why, but but this stuff works. And, you know, here's yeah. one point, whatever million copies and 500,000 people do it, which means one of two things. Either you hit upon something that works and people do it, or you're running a cult. Okay. <laughs> now, by the way, Bulletproof Coffee is something similar. We've done almost 200 million cups of Bulletproof Coffee so far. The New York Times wow. is, quote, the headline, inside the cult of Bulletproof Coffee. So, <laughs> I've been accused of it. But yeah. how do you know that you're not leading a big cult? Um, I don't know. I'd have to look up the definition of a cult to uh, to say that, but um, I, I think it, I think I've seen. I feel like I remember seeing a definition of a cult once that was like kind of positive, like a group of people gathered, rallied around an idea, right, a central idea, um, and that's what the Miracle Morning definitely has become. It's uh, it's the idea that um, how you start your day is arguably the single most determining factor in how you live your day. And to your point, it's not about waking up early; it's about waking up better. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that obviously, typically, it means that you start your day. So whether you get up at the exact same time, and instead of checking email for the first half an hour, or watching, you know, television, the news or reading Facebook. So whether you just start your first, it's, it's starting the first 30 to 60 minutes of your day with practices that will put you in a peak physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual state, so that you are at your best. So you perform at your best. And one way of putting it is if you win the morning, you're you're putting yourself in a position to win the day because you're setting your mindset, you're setting the direction, the context, you're setting the tone for who you're going to be for that day. And if you add knowledge into that, right? If, you know, I mean, the Miracle Morning is made up of six practices, scribing, or I'm sorry, it's backwards, silence, it's your meditation or prayer time, affirmations, the way we talked about earlier, right? Not these woo-woo, you know, fluffy ones, visualization, which the world's greatest athletes visualize for a reason. It's good enough for them. It's good enough for us. 
exercise, getting the blood flowing first thing, reading and scribing, which is a pretentious word for writing. And, uh, but those six practices, right? Each of those has significant and immediate benefits and lasting benefits. Um, but, but if you like the reading component, the R and savers is reading, right? If, if you add reading into the, your day, not only are you going to peak physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual state, but you're gaining knowledge relate irrelevant to an area of your life that's important, whether that's parenting, whether that's business. And then throughout the day, you actually have to apply that knowledge. Well, again, to not start your day with at least some of those practices, you're missing out on the benefits that each of those practices present or produce. Okay. I, I like that. I like that perspective a lot. And I, I don't think you're leading a cult. I, I think you're, <laughs> you're creating best practices. And if someone had told me the best practices uh, when I was much, much younger, uh, or at least here's a list of practices to experiment with to find that ones that work with you. And what, that's why there's 46 laws and game changers. Yeah. Um, it's that, look, these are most likely to work and you otherwise you could just go out there and just do whatever you saw that one guy do and you have no idea the quality of the the rigor behind it but sure. I, I think you you got an early wake-up call that caused you to pay attention i got an early wake-up call because i was old when i was young basically you know 300 <laughs> pounds pre-diabetic and arthritis and all that crap um so we're fortunate that we were we were thrust into that but the end sure. result of it is you're able to give much better advice than, than average, and you, you really know how to think through it because you were forced to structure it. And I, I think your new book is very substantially different uh, from, from your last work. So sure. if, if for, you're listening to this, like, I've already read Miracle Morning because I recommended it in Game Changers or you heard the first interview. That's fantastic. I think if you take the time to check out Hal's new book, that, The Miracle Equation, that just hit shelves the week that this podcast is released, you'll find additional value in there. And, and I think you've shared a lot of value already in the show. But the bottom line there is there are things you can do to have more resilience towards your mission. And you've cracked the code on some of that stuff in a way that uh, I think is uh, is very accessible and is a way that's really useful. So I want to I thank you for your book and ask you one more question. You got it, brother. You're welcome. And uh, please do. My next book is about the stuff I'm doing to live to at least 180. And yeah. I've asked you the question, you know, the, the perform better question that's been at the basis of Game Changers. But you haven't answered the new question. All right. How long do you want to live and why? This is a guy oh, who's great. basically faced death twice, twice I get asked this yeah. question of. So. Well, here, I love that you asked that question. So when I uh, had cancer, my miracle equation affirmation was uh, I am committed to living a long, healthy, 100-plus-year life with Ursula, Sophie, and Halston, right? Our two kids. Um, no matter what, there is no other option. And whenever I had fear, you know, the fear of dying, which showed up, you know, showed up every day, at least for a moment, um, I replaced the fear with faith. And that faith kept me putting forth the extraordinary effort. Well, that's that faith effort feedback loop that we talked about. And so for me, um, the only funny part is that when I was like, do I really want to live to be a hundred? You know, I'm like, and it, it comes off of a joke from, uh, I think it was Jim Gaffigan, Jim Gaffigan or Tom Segura in Stand Up Comedy Act. They, uh, he said, you know, people always want to live to be a hundred. He goes, have you seen 80? He's like, I, I, I see an 80 year old and I'm like, ah, oh, that looks uncomfortable and painful. So I honestly, that, that kept playing in my head. And I thought, should I change the affirmation to 80 or, you know, so, so honestly, a hundred is a round number. 
Uh, and uh, and I, you know, I would live to be want to live to be a hundred with uh, as much energy and youth and enthusiasm and vitality as possible. But um, but yeah, but that, yeah, that that's it. You know, I think that uh, being able to make the greatest impact that I can and be around to be a grandfather for my kids, uh, you know, those are some two things that are important to me. So a hundred because there's no other option. Yeah, exactly. Hundred because damn no straight, other brother. See, that is how to do it. <laughs> this yeah. whole I don't know if I want to do it. I don't want to get old. No, and there's all sorts of mindset hacks, and some of those yeah. are in, in the new book. But just you know, you you can change your picture of what it's like to be old. You can change your picture of what it's like to be successful. And it sounds like you've uh, you've already gone through and done the hard work. So th- thanks for sharing that with people listening. And if you hear that question, it makes you uncomfortable. Like, like what do you mean, Dave? You're asking people about when they're going to die. Yeah. I'm like, I just asked how that, how you've already been dead once uh, <laughs> that you know of. Uh, and yeah, another yeah. time you faced it, I mean, aggressive cancer with a 10 to 30% survival rate qualifies as facing death again. Uh, sure. And it, look, here's the deal. We're all going to die because the universe will implode in on itself if at least our physicists are correct. So yeah. it, it's a foregone conclusion. But if th- this question makes you kind of icky on every episode, you've got to ask yourself what's going on in there because get comfortable with that. Stop avoiding it. And then decide how you want to go out and what you want to do before that happens. And I'll tell you right now, I want to go out at a time and by a method of my own choosing <laughs> and do a lot of cool stuff before then. And I'll be grateful yeah. for that. So there you go. Reset, good choice. reset expectations the way Hal just taught us to do. And if you think living to 180 is a miracle, fine. Get a miracle. Hal, thanks for your work. Where can people pick up your book? Uh, you can get the book. This is my first ever traditionally published book, Dave. I've got like 12, 13 books and they're all self-published except for the miracle equation. So you can get it wherever books are sold. And, and I, we are doing something special. If you're listening to this today, this is the launch of the book. Uh, if you buy the book, forward your receipt to the email address, miracleequation at gmail.com. And you will get $1,347 in brand new, uh, many of them still being created uh, bonuses, including a six-week live Miracle Equation course with me that starts the week after the book comes out. So yeah, forward your receipt to that email address, miracleequation at gmail.com, and you'll be automatically enrolled for all the bonuses. All right. And your main website, halelrod.com. Yeah, guys, Hal is a, Hal's a cool guy. Uh, he's he's just done all sorts of, of amazing stuff. And I always find reading his books or spending time with him to be worthwhile and that sort of infectious thinking, if, if you find yourself a little bit skeptical or turned off by the word miracle, um, the stuff that you're skeptical of that pushes your buttons is usually the stuff you need to read first because you have a button there that you haven't worked on yet. Hal, have a great day. You too, brother. Take care, Dave. Thanks. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. 
Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.